I think it would be safe to say every Christ follower here this morning has encountered negative circumstances in their lives because of, the faith, because of their faith in Jesus Christ and the life change that comes with that faith. I think it would be safe to say that every Christ follower here this morning has encountered negative circumstances in that situation. These negative circumstances could be minor annoyances or life-changing situations. They could be short-lived or last for many, many years. It would also be safe to say that everyone here this morning will find find themselves facing negative circumstances in the future because of their faith. As we walk more and more with Christ, as we grow and mature as a church and as individuals in Christ, as our culture becomes more and more secular, we're going to find ourselves at odds with it more and more. We will also come to face-to-face with negative consequences in our lives, negative situations, because we live in a sinful world. Death, disease, natural disasters are good examples of these type of negative consequences. The question that we must ask ourselves, how can I handle negative circumstances in the way that will advance the mission God has given each one of us to be His witnesses throughout the world? How can I handle these negative circumstances? The circumstances because I live in a sinful world or the circumstances, uh, the, the negative circumstances will come in my life because I live for Christ. How can I handle these circumstances in a way that will advance the mission that God has given each one of us? One of the most effective ways to learn is to watch somebody else or read about somebody else who has had a great deal of experience doing what you want to learn. Not only do we learn, all right, but then we can mimic what they do. Amen? And that's, that, if you're in the school system or whatever, that's one of the greatest things about being a teacher is have them do what? Watch me do it, then help me do it, then you do it. Because that helps instill good procedures, good things in their life. And so that's what we're going to do this morning and over into next week. We're going to watch how Paul continually turns negative circumstances into opportunities to give a positive testimony. Our passage, which you will see, is a very long passage today. And I want to give credit to Pastor John MacArthur for his insights uh, over the next couple of weeks, the next couple of chapters we're going through. I read a whole lot of commentators, did a whole lot of study on my own. And I kept coming back to how John MacArthur laid it out. He did a really, really good job of taking what was going on and applying it in two really, really concise ideas. The time we'll share over the next couple of weeks will be heavily influenced by his commentary and his sermons, and I just want to give him credit for that. With that in mind, let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to what you would have us to learn today. We ask, Lord God, that it would not only change who we are, but it would allow us to go out and be a force for you in the community that you have chosen to put us in. Father, I pray that you would give me the words to say, that it would be clear, that it would be concise, Lord God. All for your glory, in Christ's name, amen. If you have been following us during our series in Acts, you probably already agree with me that Paul is an expert at handling negative circumstances. Every time we see him going into a town, what usually happens? He's run out of town or beat up or jailed overnight. Uh, We would think already that Paul is just a, a real expert if we've just been reading through the book of Acts or going through it like we have. 
Paul has been a free, relatively free man. He's not spent lengthy amounts of times in prison. He's been run out of town. He's been beaten. But he's been a free man to go where he wants to go. He's a Roman citizen. Well, what we've seen from Paul so far is that he's a free man. That is getting ready to change today. From this time forward, when Paul is arrested in our passage today, he is never a free man until all the way to the end of Acts. He is a man that is imprisoned by Rome. And what we have to understand, that even being imprisoned, even having many of his rights as a free man taken away, Paul, from here to the end of Acts, gives six defenses of, what his, of his actions and what he believes. Six defenses. Paul is the expert in handling negative circumstances. I want to show you just the six defenses that he gives. Before the mob, which is where we're going to start today, then we're going to see before the council, the, uh, the, the religious leaders in chapter 22, uh, before Felix in chapter 24, before Festus in chapter 25, and before the king Agrippa in chapter 26, and in the very last chapter of the book, before the Jews. Over and over and over and over in these last few chapters, Paul is giving a defense for his actions and for his gospel, for those two things that put him in prison. And what we need to understand is we can learn a great deal about how to handle negative circumstances in our lives by looking at how Paul does it. We need to understand something, too, about Paul's attitude, his heart. What did Paul think about his imprisonment? And we find it, Paul very clearly states this. He writes prison epistles while he's imprisoned. One of those prison epistles is Ephesians. He writes this while he's in Rome, in prison. And this is what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on whose behalf? The Gentiles. Paul is, does Paul think he's a prisoner of Rome? What's his attitude? I'm a prisoner of Christ. All these negative circumstances, I'm sitting here for the next number of years in my life, I am a prisoner of Christ, not of Rome. That's what Paul's attitude is. That's what he thinks about all these things that he has to do, the defenses and all the court trials he's going to go through. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ. He doesn't see uh, himself as a prisoner of Rome. This attitude helps us understand the first application point that we'll see later on this morning. But before we get to that application point, we're going to spend a considerable amount of time this morning looking at the context. And we don't have time to read through the whole thing because we're going to be going looking at chapter 21 of Acts, chapter 21, and we're going to start in verse 27 and we're going to go all the way to the end of chapter 21, which is verse 40. So we don't have time to read all of that. And so I'm going to kind of walk you through it. Chapter 21 of Acts, and I would, rec- I would encourage all of you to open up a Bible. You have the Red Pew Bibles in front of you. It's, I think it's on page 1,184, that, or that's really close. And follow along, because I'm just going to be referring to the events that are going on. I'm not going to necessarily read them or put them up on the screen. So it's going to be easier for you to follow along if you actually can watch in a Bible. So last week, in setting this context, last week we saw that Paul had arrived in Jerusalem He was well-received by the church, but there was concern about a rumor circulating that Paul was against all the traditions and ceremonies of Jewish life. And that's what we saw last week. And we understand that this wasn't true. 
You know, you see, one of the reasons why he was in Jerusalem is he wanted to be at the Jewish holiday of Pentecost. And so if Paul was against everything Jewish, he wouldn't have tried to be at Pentecost. He wouldn't have wanted to be there to celebrate the festival. And that in itself helps us understand that there at the accusation that's going to be brought against him, that he is absolutely against everything Jewish, is false because he's there to celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost, as I just review, means 50. That's what Pentecost means. And it was known, first of all, in the Old Testament as uh, the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of First Fruits. But after the Jewish exile, after they came back from captivity, it took on a new meaning. It came to take on the meaning of representing when Moses received the law from, Jesus, uh, from God. When Moses received the law. Because it was tradition states that Moses received the law 50 days after the exodus from Egypt. And so the elders thought it would help the Jewish community to understand that Paul wasn't against Judaism. He wasn't against what the law was teaching as far as ceremonies. And so there were four men, we found out last week, who had taken what many flink was a Nazarite vow. And they were getting ready to end that vow with the sacrifices that were required. And the elders thought this would help the Jewish community see the rumors about Paul were false. And they asked him to sponsor these four men, to purify himself since he had been among the Gentiles, to sponsor these men as they went through the ending of their, the ending sacrifices of their Nazarite vow. And we see that, that he did this. Acts 21, verse 27. Acts 21, when the seven days were almost completed, that was the time frame that this purification ceremony and the ending of the Nazarite vow. And so when we look at this, you see after that, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the crowd, the whole crowd, and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. So what we see here in Acts 21, 27, is that they are angry at Paul because they think and they believe this rumor. When Paul helped or partnered with these men, sponsored these men at the end of their Nazarite vow, the Christian Jews seemed to have no problem with that. They seemed to understand that the rumors against Paul were false. But this was Pentecost. Hundreds of thousands of Jews in Jerusalem at this time, and many of them were unsaved. These Jews, which the text here says they were from Asia, Jews from Asia, when they saw Paul, they recognized Paul, and they started a riot. They started spreading these rumors. And what we need to understand is, I think that these Jews were the Jews that were from Ephesus. Remember what happened to Paul in Ephesus? He was run out of town. And Paul, they wanted to kill Paul, but the Gentile uh, authority said no, and Paul left Ephesus. Well, where were the Ephesian Jews going to be at Pentecost? They were going to be in Jerusalem. And so here they are in Jerusalem. Who else is in Jerusalem? Paul. And what rumors are flying around? And you know what these Ephesian elders, or not elders, but these Ephesian Jews were thinking? Here's a chance for us to get Paul again. Here's a, a chance. And they recognized Paul, not only because it was Paul and they were familiar with him, but also because of Trophimus. Also because of Trophimus. And we see him later on in the passage. Trophimus was an Ephesian that was accompanying Paul. And so as we think of this, look at verse 29 for Trophimus. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And so these Ephesian Jews said, let's find a way to kill Paul. 
let's find a way to get him this time when we missed him in Ephesians. And so they started stirring up the people in the temple with these false accusations. And look at the false accusations again. Crying out, verse 28, Men of Israel, help. This man is the one who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. He's teaching against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Those are the accusations they're bringing to all the unsaved Jews that are in Jerusalem at this point in time. And what we see here as they have done this is they have talked to the Jews in a way where they were going to riot or they were going to become a mob because of the celebration they were having. You see, this Pentecost, as we said earlier, this day of Pentecost was a celebration of the law and everything it was to be Jewish. Remember, they were celebrating the time that God had given Moses the law. Everything around this celebration in Pentecost was about the law and being Jewish. And everything that they said here, this reaction to Paul was so volatile because he accused them of being uh, of the one thing that made them God's special people. He was accused of blaspheming everything they believed. He was accused of him telling them Jewishness is not right. You think that would have upset them? They, everything they understood as far as their identity was wrapped up in who? In what? Being a Jew. And the accusations against Paul were, he says, none of that means anything anymore. Get rid of it. I'm not going to do it. And all those accusations. And so let's look at what, how, how this happened, all right? So, looking verse 28, men of Israel help this man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people of the law and this place. He says he's teaching against the law because he says the law is no longer in effect. He's also teaching against this place. What was the place they're talking about? The temple. Teaching against the temple. And they bring the idea of the temple situation more when they accuse him of bringing Trophimus, who was a Gentile, into the temple area. And we have to understand what was going on in their mind. The temple was set up in a rectangle, and it had different courtyards that you could go into it. The outside courtyard was the courtyard of the Gentiles. Anybody could go into that courtyard, including Gentiles. Then there were, the next courtyard was the court of women, and then it went into the court of men, and then it went into the Holy, uh, the Holy of Holies. That's how it was designed. And so what we see happening here is they're saying that Paul took Trophimus out of the court of the Gentile and actually went in closer to the temple, in through the, the court of women and into where the court of men were, was. The problem with that is it's not true. You see, around the outside edge of that court of women was a short wall that had signs posted on it all the way around. And here's what the sign said. No man of alien race, and we know this because two of these signs have been excavated next to the wall. No man of alien race is to enter within the barricade that goes around the temple. What was the alien race? Who were they? Gentiles. And if anyone is taken in the act, if anyone does it, let him know that he has, come to, he is to, has him to blame for the penalty of what? Death. So, do you think that Paul could have snuck Trophimus past this wall? Do you think that anybody that would have seen Paul bringing Trophimus in would not have immediately tried to kill Trophimus? It's not true. These are lies. In fact, it goes on to say, if you look down past verse 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They were floating this. Do we, do we see people floating stuff all the time today? 
about, and we have this, you know, fact checks to make sure that all the news, it's because people float stuff all the time just to get a reaction. This is what is happening to Paul in Jerusalem at this point in time. We see that in this event, these mob, this mob form, and they start beating Paul. And I'm just going to tell you this part of the story. They grab Paul, and they take him, and they take him out of the temple, and they throw him out of the temple, and they close the door. And remember, these, this are, there are thousands of Jews here, and they're beating Paul. They're intent on killing him. And what we have to understand is, by God's providence, there is a fort. There's a fort. And it's called Fort Antonia, which houses, at this time, 1,000 Roman soldiers. And it's right on the north wall of Jerusalem, of the, of the temple. And on that, there's steps that actually go down from the north wall into the area of the courts for the temple. And the Romans did that on purpose because who was always being accused of rebelling against Rome? The Jews. And they wanted to be able to stop anything that was going on in the temple immediately. And what we see as we go down through the event there is that it is brought up to the commander of the fort that there's a huge riot going on and they're trying to kill this man. And we see that, look at verse 31. Uh, let's start in verse 30. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, the word came to the tribune of the cohort. All Jerusalem was in confusion. And he at once took the soldiers and centurions and ran down. And what we find happening then is that he grabs Paul in the middle of this crowd. When the soldiers run into the area, everybody stops beating Paul. Think of the situation of the chaos that's going on right now. They grab Paul and they start hauling him away. They put him in chains and they start carrying him up the steps back up to the fort. And the, the crowd is still following, and the crowd is still trying to draw Paul back in. The mob begins to shout more and more, and all the commander is trying to do is to find out what's going on. And so he asks the question, who are you? What is going on? And what happens in a, mall, in a mob when that happens? Anybody ever been in a mob when everybody, and a lot of people are angry? Sometimes you can see this happening in police videos that we see where a whole neighborhood is in an uproar because uh, they don't think that somebody should be arrested and the cops are sitting there trying to, to arrest them and everybody's trying to figure out what's going on and who's yelling all at the same time. Everybody, right? And this is what's happening. And so we see that Paul is chained to the commander and he begins to ask questions down in verse 33. Look at verse 33. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. And again, the mob still wants Paul. They're still clamoring for him. And so he actually has Paul carried up the steps. They actually have to lift Paul off the ground. And for a minute here, we need to understand what is Paul doing during all this? What is he doing during all of this? Nothing. Think about this. If you were being chased and apprehended by a mob and they started to beat you, what would you be saying? What would you be yelling? Get me out of here. Stop this. This isn't fair. I haven't done anything. Paul doesn't say a thing. Paul doesn't do anything. 
And we understand that Paul understands that this, what is happening to him, is the fulfillment of the prophecy that we saw last week with Agabus in chapter 21, verse 11. And coming to us, this is Agabus, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns the belt and deliver him into the hand of the Gentiles. Is this exactly what just happened? Paul understood that this is what God said was going to happen to me when I got to Jerusalem. And Paul didn't say a word when this whole thing was happening. So the Jews have captured him, and they give him to the Roman soldiers, and they're carrying him up the stairs. And Paul speaks to the commander. Look at verse 37. Look at verse 37. And Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, and he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And there was a great hush. So, who is bloody, bloody, beaten, and in pain right now? Paul. And most people think this was a pretty severe beating because it took a few minutes for the soldiers to get down in and disperse, and he was being beaten during this whole time. And so if somebody came and rescued you out of a mob, would you look at your rescuer and say, hey, hold on just a minute, I want to talk to the people who have been beating me? Would that even cross your mind? What would you do? Get me out of here, get me in the barracks, close the door, I'm done. And Paul says to the commander, I'd like to speak to these people. And the commander was very surprised because he had wrongly assumed that Paul was an Egyptian rebel that had come into Jerusalem to stir up the Jews to create a riot. And Paul says, no, I'm Saul of Tarsus. And he said it in Greek. And the Roman soldier, the the commander, was really surprised because rebels and, and the Egyptians would not have known Greek. Because Greek was the language of culture. Greek was a place, uh, was, was a language that you used if you were educated. And here he has this man who has been beaten to a pulp. Here is this man that he thinks is a rebel Egyptian who is speaking to him in a cultured language, which means he was educated. And this surprised the commander. And the commander says, uh, Paul asks him, can I speak to these people? And now the commander still wants to know what's going on. And so he lets Paul, hopefully, to find out what's going on, he lets Paul address them. So he gives him permission. And if you want to hear what Paul's defense is, you're going to have to come back next week. Because this is where we're stopping biblically. However, we're not done yet. I, some of you people were actually closing your Bibles, getting ready to leave. Okay? The, the, no, we're not done yet. All right? We're not done yet. You see, I want to direct your attention to a couple of points that we learned from Paul about what it means to turn a negative situation into a positive testimony. And we see two things here that really will help us learn how to take the things that we experience, especially negative circumstances, and turn them into positive testimonies. First, we see, accept the situation as from God. Did Paul do this? Accept the situation as from God. If you're going to turn a negative situation into a positive opportunity, the first thing you have to do is say, okay, God, this is okay. 
Throughout the false accusations, the anger, the beatings, the false arrest, Paul knew that the situation that he was in was from God. And we understand that from the prophecy we just saw from Agabus. We also see this from Acts 20, 24. And it says, I do not account my life, this is Paul, farther back than uh, Agabus' situation. I do not account my life of any value, as, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish what? My course and the ministry that I received. Whose course? His course. Where did he receive that? And it's not a course that he planned out. It was something that he received from God, from the Lord Jesus, to set, testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul, all the way back in Acts 20, said, anything that happens to me in my life, I understand it's part of the ministry that God has called me to. And we see that all the way through Agabus and all the way up. Everything happened just like God wanted it to. You and I need to understand something. We need to let this lay on our hearts. We need to let this delve deep into us. You and I have been given a similar mission. This is not unique to Paul. We as Christ followers have been given a mission of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to every corner of the world starting right now in this city, in this town that we live in. We have the exact same mission as Paul to spread the gospel throughout the entire world starting where we're at right now. Let that sink in. But that's not how many Christ followers see their lives. They respond to negative situations with hearts that say, Oh God, why have you forsaken me? How many of you have thought that in a difficult, negative situation? Lord, where are you at? Why did you forsake me? Where are you? Why did you let the devil do this to me? Whenever we encounter negative situations, it seems that many times our default position is to get mad at God and blame Him for not being there or letting the devil do this or anything like that. We do not go to the point in our lives where we say, Lord God, I accept this because this is part of the mission that you have given me in my life to walk. And we have to understand something. Negative situations, especially when it concerns our faith, that happen in our lives... Because we are making, uh, being witnesses for Jesus Christ, all those negative situations are a plan by God to help us spread the gospel. And we need to look at those things, those negative situations, and say, this is God's will for my life. Is that something? Do we struggle with that? Do we struggle with that? A car wreck that kills a loved one. That's a, because we live in a sin-cursed world, right? And we can handle that one of two ways. Understand that this is God's plan in my life and begin to work through it in that way. And so what we need to understand here is that we need to, the first thing we need to do to handle negative situations is to understand that this is God's will for my life. Let me ask each of you a question. If you're a Christ follower here this morning, this question is for you. Do you want to be used by God to change people's lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're a Christ follower, do you want to be used by God to change people's lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ? I would say that every Christ follower here would have an emphatic, yes, I want that. If that yes is truly a yes, then the only way for you to be that kind of witness is for you to see that every neg- negative situation you encounter is coming from God so that you can use that negative situation as an opportunity to fulfill your mission. 
And that's the second point. The first one was, when you encounter a negative situation, negative circumstance, understand it's from God. And the second one is, I'm going to use this negative situation that God has brought into my life as an opportunity to fulfill the mission that he's given me. Did Paul do this? Absolutely. Do you think Paul as a person wanted to be grabbed by the mob and beaten, brutally beaten? No. Do you think Paul wanted to be lied about and have anger toward him from people who were misinformed? How many of you does it really, really bother if somebody says that you have done something or uh, you are something when it's absolutely blatantly false? How many of you say, oh, that's no big deal? How many of you that just grate your teeth? You want, you want to do what? I'm going to go see this person. I'm going to find out where this is coming from, and we're going to do what? Handle that situation right now. Paul didn't do any of that. Paul said, this is God's will for my life, and Paul is looking for an opportunity now to fulfill his mission of spreading the gospel in that negative situation. So we must use negative situations as opportunities to fill our mission We need to understand this is throughout the Bible. This isn't anything for Paul. Did our Savior have a negative situation that brought us salvation? Absolutely. Was he falsely accused? Was he brutally beaten? Did he have illegal courts? Did he have all of his disciples abandon him? What did he do to deserve all of that? Nothing. And did he willingly accept that situation into his life as being from his father? Because he understood his father had asked him to come here and do what? Go through all of that to pay for our salvation. And we understand that our Savior Jesus Christ did that. We also see in Peter, if you want to turn with me there, it's on page 1295. Peter also lived through negative situations. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 19. It's in the context of servants, starting in verse 19, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it uh, if when you sin you are beaten for it, for it you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been what? Called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We see Paul doing this. We see Jesus Christ. Could we have been saved? Would salvation mean as much if Jesus Christ hadn't gone through what he went through? If that negative situation was removed, would we be saved? No. God, in God's perfect plan, he says, this is my plan for my son to die on the cross. And all those steps and all those pieces that were part of that were part of God's good and perfect plan. There's nothing else that could have happened that would have made it easier on Jesus because it was God's perfect plan. And so Jesus Christ died on the cross and he triumphantly rose again, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And we have the joy of salvation because Jesus Christ took the opportunity that was set before him to die for us while we were yet sinners when he was an innocent man, falsely accused in a negative situation. We see Peter actually, as I said a minute ago, living through this, giving us an example of this. Remember earlier in the book of Acts, Peter was preaching in Jerusalem and the religious leaders were absolutely furious and they brought him in and um, they said, we 
commands you not to preach the gospel again. Do not mention Jesus Christ's name again. And how did Peter respond? Was this a negative situation? Did Peter do anything to deserve it? Did he break any law? No. The religious leaders were just mad at his message. Here's what Peter said. You judge whether I'll obey you or God. You judge whether I'm going to obey your command to be silent or God's command to spread the gospel. They knew what he meant, and they beat him up and threw him out. But Peter prayed and said, Lord, give us boldness. What if you had been brought before the religious leaders, told to stop, responded in a godly way, were beaten and thrown out? Would you stop? They walk out the door and they pray, Lord, give us more boldness. And the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were filled with boldness and they spoke the word and all kinds of people got saved. They went right back out after being thrown out. They used the negative situation to spread the gospel and hundreds of people got saved. Guess who got mad again? Religious leaders, they brought them back in. Didn't we tell you to stop? And he says, yes. And they put him in prison. Then what happened? An earthquake comes and opens the prison. Peter now on strike three here. Does he leave Jerusalem? No, he leaves the prison and starts preaching again. Again, he uses the negative situation, turns it into an opportunity to fulfill his mission. So we see Peter doing that. We see Jesus Christ doing that. We see Paul doing it. Throughout years of history, millions have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior because others have accepted negative circumstances as God's will and has used those circumstances as opportunities to preach the gospel. Many of the early church fathers were killed because of their gospel message. All the apostles but John were killed because of their gospel message. Negative situations abound throughout history, and Christ followers look at those situations, and they don't cringe from them. They don't run from them. They look at them and say, this is God's will for my life. How can I use it as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? You see, we learn a lot from Paul, don't we? Let me ask you, how do you view negative situations that come in your life? How do you view them? Is your first reaction is to say, this needs to stop and I'm out of here? Or is your first reaction to say, Lord God, what opportunities are you open for me here? For most of us, even for myself, we look at those opportunities and the first thing we want is out of them. The first thing we want to do is have it changed. The first thing we want to do is go back into our comfort zone. But Christ followers say, Lord God, this is your will for my life. Show me all the opportunities that I have in this situation to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who are dying in sin. As I close this morning, I want to reflect on a couple of things, kind of a broad review. We live in a sin-cursed world, and we will experience negative circumstances. There's no way out. How many people here agree with that? Raise your hand. We live in a sin-cursed world, and we will experience negative circumstances, and there is no way out. True? That's just a matter of fact. No debate, no gray area, black and white. Some of you may be experiencing circumstances right now that are really negative. Some of you may be starting to experience a negative circumstance when you walk out that door. Some are going to get a reprieve for a couple of weeks. Which one do you want? So we can 
try and run from those circumstances. We can complain and cry about those circumstances. We can get angry and cast blame about those circumstances. And we can accuse God that He should have protected us from those circumstances. Or we can learn from Paul. We can learn from Peter. And we can learn from our Savior, Jesus Christ. The true reality of those circumstances, which is God has placed them in our lives for a purpose. And then we can choose to accept that reality and look for the opportunities that God has provided. I hope and pray that as we grow and mature as a church, that we would be a people at Sardis Baptist Church that at least hesitates a little bit when negative circumstances come into our lives. We hesitate and we say, Lord, I want out of here, but Lord God, if there are great opportunities to spread the gospel in this circumstance, please don't remove it from my life. That would be a hard prayer, right? Keep me in this circumstance. Don't remove me from this circumstance if I can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please bow your heads for a second. I know there are people here this morning in a circumstance that is negative. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something that's going on at work because of your witness for Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because you have a neighbor who doesn't like what you stand for, being a Christ follower. Maybe you're just living in a sin-cursed world and somebody is bullying you or saying lies about you. If you're there and you're a Christ follower, go to God right now. And in light of what we've learned from Paul this morning, come to God and say, Lord God, please use this circumstance in my life in a way that I can present my Savior's gospel. Show me the opportunities. Pray that. Maybe you're here with a negative circumstance that you're not saved. You don't believe in Jesus Christ. You've never come to that place where you have seen Him as your Lord and Savior. Well, I can promise you that Jesus Christ can make sense out of your negative circumstance. It doesn't mean that He's going to remove you from it. It doesn't mean that it, everything is going to be rose-colored when uh, you accept Him as your Savior. But Jesus Christ can give that circumstance purpose, can give that circumstance meaning, and can bring great things. But you need to know the Lord Jesus Christ first for Him to be able to help you see what He's doing in your life. If you're in that situation, I pray that you would give me an opportunity to sit down and talk to you with you about Jesus Christ, that you would give me an opportunity to share what God has done in my life and how He's opened my heart and my mind in this area. Maybe you're going through a negative circumstance right now as a Christ follower, and you have handled it very poorly. You've gotten mad about it. You have been angry at other people, maybe even angry at God. Now's the time to ask for forgiveness with the understanding that this is part of His plan for your life. Father God, we bow before You right now. We come before You and ask that You would help us see the world from Your Son's perspective, from Paul's perspective, from Peter's perspective, that we would see that the negative circumstances that come into our lives are Your plan. And that there's purpose behind them that will help us complete our mission to walk in our mission, which is to spread the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. Father, help us not to shy away from those 
situations. Help us to stand boldly, even in pain and even in injustice, and say, my Savior Jesus Christ is worth it. Father, help us to be strong in our walk with Christ. Help us to understand the wonder of our salvation. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that out of that negative situation, Lord God, we have an eternity with you. And Father, help us not to shy away from what you have asked us to endure so your gospel can go forth. In Christ's name, amen.